We are living in a peculiar season, a time of seeking God. Many of you may feel that God is distant, that it's almost like he's drawn away from you. But I want to submit to you that sometimes when we feel that way, it's actually God who's busy calling us closer for a time like this, a time of seeking the Lord, for us to be prepared for the seasons that await us. You see, and for that reason, today I would like to speak to you about fasting. Fasting, I remember was not something that we really talked about in my church that I grew up in very traditionally. In fact, the concept of fasting was quite peculiar, something considered only for those who are the very mature believers. But when we start looking at what the Bible says, what Jesus says about fasting, when speaking to his followers, we start understanding that it is actually a very elementary, a very basic spiritual principle and practice that we are expected by God to have in our lives. I want to submit to you that the time of treating fasting as this optional thing is over. God is calling us back to love like Jesus, like Yeshua and his disciples lived. He's calling us back to how the early church lived. You see, we live in a culture that is so high on fast food and consumerism and and all the things that fill us up. We we can feel like that, that things that command sacrifice of us. We've pushed aside. But that's the very reason why fasting should be. I want to submit to you even more important to our lives than how it was to the disciples in the first century, because we have so many more distractions. So today we're going to be talking about what fasting is and what fasting is not. We're going to be talking about the six purposes of fasting, and we're going to be talking about five frequently asked questions regarding fasting. Now, first off, I think what's important for us to understand is that even though fasting is supposed to be part of every believer's life, it is by no means a sign of a genuine believer. Fasting in the scriptures you will find is actually talked about. It's often talked about more about how not to fast than how to fast, because in past times, fasting has been approached as a means by by which people exalt themselves. That is probably the number one danger that we need to look out for. And so when Yeshua speaks about it in Matthew chapter six, verse 16, and he says how we should not fast, he says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. I remember 
I had this one friend years ago who he, he stumbled across this idea of fasting. And I remember that every time I would see him, he would be telling me about how what day of fasting he's on and, and how hard it's been and and what he's been fasting from and and, and all the challenges and it. And, and this was not simply communicated as a in a discipleship relationship or, or anything of that nature. It was simply communicated as a means of boasting. And see, this is what Jesus, what Yeshua is talking about here. He's talking about the temptation to fast in order to be seen by others and to tell others for the sake of having them exalt you and think, wow, look how PD is fasting. Look how long PD is. If you want them to have these ideas, Yeshua is saying you have received your reward. That exaltation that you seek will be all that you get if you even get that. When we fast, it's important for us to make sure that that we communicate our fast only when necessary. You know, uh, if my wife is in charge of making food tonight and I have planned to be fasting, it's probably a good thing to tell her so that she doesn't labor unnecessarily. Right. Or or if I'm going to be going to a dinner and I am actually like seriously going to be fasting, it's probably going to be wise to communicate that so that people don't think you don't like their food or something. Right. And in those instances, when it's needed, right, for practical reasons, it's fine to communicate the fact that you're fasting. But if the motive is wrong, then it's not good to communicate that. If the motive is for you to just tell people to, in order to tell them, in order to, to, to brag, basically. Be careful of that because you've received your reward. I want to furthermore read about what fasting is not in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, where he says in verse four, behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? We see in the book of Isaiah when he's speaking about fasting, such as on the Day of Atonement, that fasting is about more than not eating. What does it help that you you do not eat to to fast, but you fight, you're angry, you get bitter, you have hatred in your heart, you you, you abuse people with whether in physically or in your speech. What does it help if your fruit is bad while fasting? See, he's telling us that fasting is not just about abstaining from eating. Fasting is a lifestyle. Fasting is the very way you live your life and fasting is in that sense, then to do good to those who are struggling, who are oppressed. That's why he even says to give your bread to the hungry, that bread which you would have eaten for your for 
for your lunch or your dinner or whenever you take that and and share it with the hungry. Make a sacrifice. Fasting is not just about what you can get, but it's about what you can give, how you can serve, what you can give up. Not what I can get out of it. When we look at Yeshua's life, he fasted for our sake. He fasted to be a better servant. He fasted to make greater sacrifices in his life. He fasted to crucify his flesh. Why do you fast? It, we can fast because we're in trial. And, and I have done that, right? Fasting when we're facing horrible situations and we need to hear God's voice. In fact, that's what happens is we we crucify our flesh and fasting by not by denying it what it desires. You see, when you're hungry, your flesh, your body is crying out. It's saying, I'm hungry. Give me food. Feed me. Right. And you're saying, I'm not giving you what you want because the spirit of God that he's given me needs to grow in authority and I need to grow in self-control over my flesh. And when you get your flesh out of the way, you can hear God better when he speaks, when he gives direction. He can use you better, flow through you by his spirit better because your flesh, which is at enmity with God, doesn't stand in the way in that same manner as before anymore. I want to talk to you about some of the purposes of true fasting. And the first one is explained by Yeshua. Yet I want to submit to you is something that has been widely misunderstood. And I'm going to read it to you in Luke 5 verse 33 when he is questioned about the fasting of his disciples. And it says they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees and yours, your disciples, they eat and drink. But Yeshua said to them, can you make can you make wedding guests fasts while the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. Okay, so we are getting a hint here about what fasting is about. See, he's saying that my disciples are not fasting right now because I am right in their midst. I am in their presence. But when I leave, when I ascend, they will then fast. So we know that fasting is something that is done outside of God's physical presence. Why? To draw near to his presence. For if God is in your presence, like in the flesh, like Yeshua was, there's no need to fast because he's in the flesh with you. Right. So fasting is to draw near to the bridegroom. And another interesting thing in what he said is he said, my disciples, they will fast in those days that I am not with them. He says they will fast, not it's they may if they want to No, it's expected that they will when he ascends into heaven. They will fast. That is, in fact, what his disciples will be known for. 
that they will fast. So are you a disciple? Now, I want to read further in the same chapter, and we're about to get to some territory here that's been so misunderstood in Christianity, and that is Yeshua's parable of the wineskins. You know, what's interesting about this parable is it's all about fasting. In fact, the, the way I know that is because it is in the context of what we just read, how Yeshua was was answering the question of of his disciples and why his disciples don't fast yet. And then he continues and he tells the story of the wine parable of the wineskins. But many people have said, oh, the wineskins, they're about the old covenant and how the old covenant is now abolished. Which is a confusing thing because the covenants is not the topic nor the context in this entire chapter or surrounding chapters at all. No, Yeshua is speaking about making a sacrifice. See, fasting is a form of sacrifice. God made our bodies with the ability and the the hunger to eat and be filled. But when we deny ourselves that for the glory of God and his kingdom, then we are making a form of a sacrifice. And this is the thought that he is now continuing into the next few verses. And he says this. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for if he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put put into fresh wineskins and no one after drinking old wine desires the new. For he says the old is good. Okay, now what do these wineskins, whether old or new, and the wine being put into them, whether old or new, what do they represent for us to understand this parable? Now, here's what Yeshua brought us. Yeshua brought us new wine. This is also illustrated at the wedding where he turned water into wine and he he had those servants fill the jars to the brim, served it at the wedding. And the guests said this and the host said this is the best wine that's ever been tasted. Okay, so Yeshua is here to bring a new type of wine, unlike anything we've ever tasted. But as you well may know, even though this wine that Yeshua brings us is so wonderful and life changing and the best you could ever taste, not everyone was happy with that. Many people rejected the wine he had to bring them. Some of them were the Pharisees, the very people that Yeshua is actually responding to when he's telling this parable. And so what the Pharisee, the certain Pharisees who rejected Yeshua had is they had old wine skins because the new wine was incompatible with their wineskins. That's why Yeshua said you put new wine into an old wineskin, that wineskin will burst then. And so in that way, these old wineskins would burst 
What does the wineskin represent? It is our flesh. It is the old man, if you want to call it that. You see, when Yeshua spoke to Nicodemus, he spoke about this very idea. He said, Nicodemus, you can't receive me in the way that you are right now. You need to become born again. In fact, he says, I say to you, unless one is reborn of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. John 3, verse 5 to 6. So we are born from our mother's womb. We're born flesh from flesh. But he's saying you now need to be born in water and spirit, born again. That's why when we get baptized, into the water, we come out a new creation, as Paul writes, a new man, a new wineskin. And now this new wineskin that we become is able to receive the new wine that Yeshua brings us. Now, why is this all important for us to understand? Well, because the last verse there, he said, no one after drinking old wine desires the new for he says the old is good. Okay, and this is a, a thing that we can we can understand, like when we drink wine and it's old wine, people like old wine because they say old wine tastes better and they prefer that. See, in this world, and especially in the West, if I may, we are oftentimes very filled, aren't we? We have a lot of old wine that tastes really good. We get drunk off the things of the world, not necessarily evil things, evil things too, but even things that are just neutral. You know, we we like to eat a lot of food and we like to partake in a lot of delicacies and pleasures. And what we are really doing in that is we're feeding the old man. Because have you ever felt that way? Like when you you may have even felt this when you've eaten a a big meal and it was a great feast and you feel so full and and satisfied in your flesh. And and then you, you, you can even notice that I'm not in the mood to pray. I'm not in the mood to read my Bible right now. I'm not in the mood to do anything spiritual. Isn't that interesting? How when we feed our old man's desires, the fleshy desires that we still have that are that are there, it's almost like the new man that God has put in us is being suppressed and the new man's desires that are that are the desires of the spirit. You see, because you're you're born of flesh when you're born from your mother's womb and that is the flesh. That's this here. But then when you get reborn, in water and in the spirit, you're born of the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is what births you. And you have this new creation now, this new man that's kind of indwelling you. But the old man's desires are still warring against the desires of the whole, of the spirit and the desires of the new man. And so this is why Yeshua is telling this parable in the context of fasting, because it is by fasting 
that we can discipline the old man, the desires of the flesh. We are, we, we, when we stop eating, we stop feeding the desire of the old man because the old man, that flesh of ours, is what gets hungry for food. And when we don't give it what it wants, we exercise self-control. So we need to stop feeding the old man. That's what fasting is so that we can get hungry for the new wine. Because see, here's the thing is, if you're so full with with feeding that old man, you're not going to be hungry for the new wine of Yeshua because you say, well, I've drank the old wine. I don't desire the new for the old is good. The old is enough. And this is the danger of being satisfied with the old. And God has come to bring us something new, his Holy Spirit. So we need to empty ourselves of ourselves and our desires for the desires of his Holy Spirit. Another purpose of fasting is it helps us identify the idols in our lives that are hiding beneath the surface. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but when things go well with us in our lives, it's easier to be in good behavior. It's easier to not stumble into sin. But when things get hard, people, they, you know, some people, they pick up a bottle. Some people pick up a cigarette. But some people simply start pacifying their feelings and emotions instead of dealing with them and giving them to God. Some people uh, desire uh, have other emotions that that overtake them, like anger and hatreds and many such things that we ought not to live in. Even if we can experience a temporary anger when we start living in anger and when we have outrage and when we have rage and when we act and sin from that anger, right? Like sin creeps in when things get difficult. And I want to submit to you that when we fast, it's easy for easier for those tendencies that are really idols in our lives and sins in our lives to come to the surface and we can identify them and we can attack them head on. And we can with Yeshua's help, with God's help, we can get rid of those sins hiding beneath the surface. So when you get angry, when you're hungry, that's something that's to be addressed. When you have a television addiction and you just want to sit in front of the TV to get your mind off your hunger or your trial, it needs to be addressed. Or maybe it's just scrolling your life away on social media. Because and that's something that you want to do to get your mind off your trial and maybe even your hunger, you see. And that's something to be addressed. What is your thing that you run to when your flesh is being pressured. Fasting is there to help us get free from those things this day so that we can be better vessels for God's glory. All right. Another purpose I want to of fasting I want to talk to you about is that fasting is a method of returning to God. When you feel like God is far away, you feel like it's you're struggling to pray. You're struggling to read the Bible. You feel like you're slacking in your spiritual life. You know, 
I mean, you know the feeling when you feel like, God, I just want to return to you more. Fasting is a great place to begin with that because we read in uh, Joel 2 verse 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. When we feel tempted far away, pray fast and you will find God. Another purpose, last but not least, that I want to touch on here is the profound effects that our fasting has on the spiritual realm all around us. Now, I want to read Daniel chapter 10 in just a few verses here to demonstrate this. Many of you may be familiar with it. I just want to pull out a few concepts from here. Daniel 10 verse 3, Daniel is writing and he says, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And then we read in verse 12, an angel appears because of Daniel's fasting. And he says, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. So we see first off, angels are being dispatched and coming because of Daniel's prayers And because especially his prayer was in a humbling state where he fasted and he said it's it's amazing because he said from the first day that you started seeking God, I was sent. And then he goes on to verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. This is now an evil spirit or an evil uh, fallen angel. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So we see that this angel has this message and he is traveling over the period of three weeks, 21 days. As long as Daniel was fasting at this point, and then he showed up and this shows us that there's when we pray, when we humble ourselves before God, like sometimes the reason our prayer isn't answered from the first day is because there is a real spiritual war going on. The enemy, Satan, wanted to stop God's angels from delivering this message to Daniel. Like, think about this. And they had to fight. And this angel of God had to wait, wait for reinforcements from Michael to help break through. Then finally, he could appear to Daniel. Wow. And and I I can totally attest to this. I Without going into too much detail here today, I have I had a period of my life where I went through a lot of trial, uh, you know, a lot of uh, uncertainty f- of my future. And and I remember fasting like Daniel did for 21 days. And at, at the end of that fast, I had a vision where there was this other angel standing by my bedside, but it wasn't a, a good angel. 
It wasn't an angel from God. Uh, something, I guess, similar to this prince of Persia described in Daniel chapter 10. But in this vision, I saw other angels of God swoop in to the room and causing this angel to depart. And these angels told me these angels sent by God, things are coming to an end. We're here now. And that was the beginning of the end of my trial. And after that, God showed me a lot of things, gave me knowledge about how to escape the trial I was in at that time. And I got totally delivered from it. But I'm sharing this today with you because I want to profess to you that fasting is so powerful in our trials. But at the same time, fasting is not supposed to just be happening when we're in trial. I fast when I'm in trial and I fast when I'm not in trial. Fasting for me has become an, a, a thing that is a part of my life. Now, today, I want to just end this off with answering just a few frequently asked questions. You know, when to fast, how long to fast, what to fast, what to do while fasting and so forth. Uh, in terms of when to fast, okay, first off, we have the day of atonement is the only day we are commanded to fast. Okay, the feast of the day of atonement, which is a biblical feast of God, that's to be kept by all of God's disciples once a year, is a day where he commands us to humble ourselves. That is language for uh, to fast or to afflict yourself. Outside of the Day of Atonement, we also have to fast. And but as to when, I guess you could figure that out by asking yourself this question. How often do you eat? Well, you, you can say I, I eat when I get hungry, right? Like how hungry you are determines how much and how often you eat. Because we eat in order to get our hunger to go away. And now to ask to answer the question of how often should you fast? Well, it depends how hungry you are for God. Because fasting is something that alleviates the hunger for God because it brings us closer to God and his presence. So there's no commandment on fast once a week, fast twice a week. But you need to determine that with the Holy Spirit. You need to ask yourself, how hungry am I for God? And then you can make a decision. Each person has freedom in this matter. We ought to never judge someone about how much they fast on what day they fast of the week and so forth. In fact, this was the very issue that Paul was addressing in the scriptures when he was telling about let no man judge you on uh, keeping days and whether you eat vegetables or whether you eat nothing because we shouldn't pass judgment based on these matters. He was talking about fasting, what day to fast, what to fast. 
Paul is saying, do not pass judgment. That that scripture, by the way, was not talking about like biblical feast days. They weren't talking about the Sabbath. Paul was talking about fasting because that was a, ma a massive argument in the first century, whether we fast on this day or that day. In fact, you had many different sects and denominations in Judaism fast having their minds made up on what days they need to fast on. God has given us freedom. That is why he has not commanded us outside of the Day of Atonement any particular manner. But he does expect us nonetheless to fast. So how long do you fast? It falls under the same uh, definitions of let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let your hunger for God guide you. What do we fast? Well, uh, food is the classical thing to fast. But of course, food is not the only thing that can be fasted. When we have something that has authority over our lives that we are enslaved to, and that can be food, but that can also be social media. That can also be um, chocolate. <laughs> that can be anything. And whatever that is that has dominion over you, that is not to have dominion over you. That's a good idea to include in your fasting. In fact, um, you don't fasting can be we can fast from things um, that are not necessarily, you know, evil things, but ordinary things that bring us pleasure. Uh, for example, Paul writes about fasting sex with a spouse. He goes in 1 Corinthians 7, 5 and says, defraud not one another, except for the for the consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And then come together again that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. All right. So fasting is something that when you agree with your spouse mutually about it, that's important. Then there's a fast of that that can happen because you're humbling yourself, you're afflicting yourself, you're abstaining from these pleasures, even though it's something that God, God has gifted us. We're abstaining from this pleasure because we're putting it aside for the for the pleasure of seeking God. We're, we're taking even we're saying, God, I take even more pleasure right now in just seeking you and humbling myself before you than in the pleasures you've gifted me. That's very precious in the sight of our Lord and Savior. Right. So what do we do while fasting? If at all possible, uh, divert your energy towards prayers, uh, focus on God. But at the same time, I want to share with you that if you are, you know, you're like most people, <laughs> you work, you have responsibilities in life. Uh, yeah, we can think, well, uh, what, what do I do now? Because I have work to do. Do I fast? And how, how am I going to focus on God all day if I have work to do? Should I then rather not fast at all? Right. Uh, what's important, right, is that is that we we set time aside to fast. And even if we have work, you know, when I have my uh, when I have work, you know, and in my past, I've passed employments and, and all the way through my life, even at, you know, studying at university and and before that, right, no matter what work and, and what's distracting and what's important in life, we can still set time aside to fast. And and even though we won't be able to pray like as much as we may want to, that's still a precious thing before God. So even if you can't pray all day, it's still good to fast. All right. 
fast anyway, is what I would tell you, because God sees that God understands uh, there's no requirement that you you quit your job or, or I mean, you know, take a day off from work in order to fast, even though that's something that you can also do if you really felt convicted to do so. All right. So, brothers and sisters, I believe that God is calling us in this season, this season, especially right now to fast. And that's why I made this video. This is a time to seek his face. This is a time to get freedom from addictions, sins and things that have dominion and have controlled us. It's time to get rid of those things. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, for every person who's watching this, that you would come with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would come and give them the strength, the empowerment to feed on your spirit, your manna from heaven that satisfies. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are going to help us to be sustained like Yeshua, like Jesus was sustained in that wilderness when he was there or when was when Moses was on the mountain and you sustain him. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that our fast would be fruitful and humble. We will not use it as exaltation, Lord. Help us to do it responsibly. Help us to do it consistently. Help us to make a sacrifice before you that is pleasing to you and your kingdom. Father, help us to become disciples known for making a, a loving sacrifice to you, uh, disciples that are dedicated to you, but above all disciples, Father, that are known for our love for one another and strangers in our fast. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. So, hey, I challenge you to this coming week, make a commitment, put it on your calendar, even make a set a meeting up in your family and say, guys, let's do this. Let's set a day aside and fast and seek God's face. Do something. Have a plan, because that is something that really has helped my family. Uh, me and my wife, we have we have told each other, hey, honey, I want us to fast on this day. I want us to fast on that day. What do you think about that? And we've done that. And it's been an immense blessing. Thank you for joining me. If this video has blessed you, like it, subscribe to this channel. And I want to say such a big thank you to all of our partners who make teachings just like this one possible every week. And if you want to partner with us, you can find out more on riseonfire.com. Many, many blessings to you. I love you guys. Shalom and have a wonderful fast.